I know we're using part of our text from last week, but go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Timothy and also find the book of Isaiah. I was listening to a discussion, and I hope this message applies to no one in here today, but I feel that it needs to be shared. I hope you will, if nothing else, share the link for today's live stream with anybody that you know, especially if they don't know Christ as Savior. But I was listening to a discussion of how many false converts there are today. I don't want to get too far into that because that's part of the message this morning. But you know, just because you walk an aisle, take the preacher by the hand, say you're saved, go through the baptistry, and, and baptism has nothing to do with salvation anyway, but, but just because you say you're saved and then you're baptized and become a church member does not necessarily mean that you truly know Christ as Savior. We're going to talk about that in the message. The message is titled, Three Things Not Preached the Bible Way in Churches Today. We've got a lot of preaching going on today. Probably as much if not more than any time in the history of this nation, we have preaching going on today, but so much of it, so much of it is not according to the Word of God and is leading people astray. Second Timothy chapter 4 beginning in verse 2. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Now in Isaiah chapter 5 Beginning in verse 20, the Word of God says this, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Three things that are not preached the Bible way in churches today. Now, of course, this is not referring to every church because there are churches in this world still today, in this nation still today, where the Word of God in its truth and its simplicity, the unvarnished truth of God's Word is shared, is delivered, is preached. I want to believe that this is one of those churches. Amen. That's what I strive to do, folks. It doesn't matter what Jim thinks, or Brother Jim thinks, or whoever. I tell people I've been called a lot of things. Okay, I'll answer to anything. It doesn't matter what Jim thinks. It matters what the Word of God says. Amen. That is the most important thing for us to understand. We live in a day when so many preachers have, like politicians, learned to say a whole lot without actually saying anything. Amen. You know, I've got to fill this amount of time for the sermon, and so I'll get up and I'll preach a sermon. And I've shared with you part of the reason this happens. I don't know what other preachers call it, but I call it job security. You know, if I preach the wrong thing too strongly, folks are going to get upset. If I preach the Word of God in its purity and its simplicity, folks might get upset and, you know, they might not want me as their pastor if I tell it like it is. Better yet, not tell it like it is, but tell it like God wants it told. And that's what we ought to do. I might lose some popularity. I might even get fired 
And so I've got to soften the message just a little bit. You know, I, it's been, what, a year or two now. I think it's been two years since we preached about Elijah. And I still want to be Elijah, folks. Amen. Elijah told it like God wanted it told. Elijah spoke the truth. And if people didn't like it, Elijah basically would say, you take it up with God. God wrote the book. God gave the message. If you don't like the message in the Word of God, you take it up with God. Somebody might think, well, I, I might offend someone of importance, and I don't really understand that one, in the church. And I'm going to confess, I have been guilty, hopefully not here, but I have been guilty at times in other places of softening the message just a little bit. Well, I can say this this way, and it won't sound as harsh if I just came out and said it this way, and so I can get away with it. But talking about it that way, if we preachers don't tell it like it is, if we don't tell it like God wants it told, folks, guess what? We're going to offend somebody in the church, and you know who that is? That's Jesus. That's Christ. So we better tell it like it is. Now, the Bible is, we've been studying this in Sunday school. I agree 100% with Brother Truman. The Bible is the divinely inspired and inerrant Word of God. And it cuts to the heart. We had that discussion this morning. You know, it cuts to the heart when it comes to our lost condition. And then after we're saved, we're not living for the Lord. It cuts to the heart of the condition of our flesh or the way that we're living our lives. Hebrews 4.12, we read this last week, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Listen, the word of God is divisive. It is divisive. It will separate, it says here, the thoughts and the intents of the heart. In other words, what it will do, it will reveal our real motives from the pretense that we use to convince ourselves that we're okay. Just get into the Word of God. Just read it and apply it. James chapter 1, James says the Word of God is like a mirror. Now, have you ever looked into a mirror and not liked what you saw looking back? On my closet door in our bedroom, we have a full-length mirror. I look into that occasionally. And you know what I saw the other day? There was an old, fat, gray-haired man looking back at me where that young, dark-haired, thin man is supposed to be standing. Amen. I didn't stand in front of that mirror too long because I didn't like what I saw looking back at me. And do you realize why some people don't want to read the Word of God, don't want to hear a message from the Word of God, don't want to come to Sunday school, don't want to study the Word of God? They don't like what it exposes in their lives and about them. Amen. So it's easier just to say, well, I'll skip church today. I won't read the Bible today. I won't listen to that message today. If you will seriously look in and honestly look into the mirror of God's Word it may well be that what you see looking back at you is not the person you thought was standing there. Just like I wanted to see that young, dark-haired man. Let me give you an illustration. And this is just from 1 John chapter 2. If you want to turn over there, or you can listen, or you can look up on the screen. But 1 John chapter 2, here's the claim in verse 4, He that saith, I know him. What's that saying? Somebody who says, I know Christ. 
There's his claim. I know Christ the Savior. But here's the condition. And keepeth not his commandments, the truth is not in him. Here's somebody saying, oh, I'm a child of God. I don't do what the word of God says. I don't live for Christ. I don't live like Christ. And John says, God says through John, when that individual says, I'm in Christ, they're not telling the truth. John chapter 2, verse 9. He that saith he is in the light. That's the claim. I walk in the light. I live this, this life that God wants me to live. Here's the condition. And hateth his brother is in darkness even till now. Oh, I'm a child of God. I love the Lord. I love walking in his light. But I hate brother so-and-so. I can't stand sister so-and-so. Well, guess what? They're still in darkness. The word of God says, even until this moment. Here's another one. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. The claim. He that saith he abideth in him. This word abideth has the idea of being settled down and at home. I abide in Christ. This is my lifestyle. Then look what John says, what God says through John, the condition. Himself also so to walk even as he walked. If you abide in Christ, you ought to live like Christ. You ought to walk like Christ. You ought to have what we call Christian principles. Why were believers first called Christians in Antioch of Syria? Because they were so much like the Lord Jesus Christ. One's claim to be something or do something is examined and revealed by the Word of God. One more example. This is from Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Here's the claim. Jesus said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Here's people saying, I'm saved. I'm a child of God. Yes, I, Lord, I'm, I'm ready to go to heaven. These are religious people, by the way, if you read those verses. These are religious people trying to get to heaven by their works. What do they say? Well, we prophesied or preached in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did all these wonderful works in your name. And what did Jesus say? He'd say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. These works for salvation are nothing in the world but iniquity. Here's the condition. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. That's who's going to enter. What is the will of God for folks to enter into the kingdom of heaven? That people would repent toward him and put their faith in Jesus Christ and be saved. I said there's a lot of preaching going on today. Probably more access to the word of God than ever before. And what's happening in our nation? Moral decay. Sin is running rampant. We're legalizing things that the word of God calls an abomination. We're legalizing, we have legalized, the murder of innocent unborn babies. And yet there's more preaching Something's wrong, folks. Something is absolutely wrong because much of the so-called preaching, just nice little talks, religious performances. Romans 16, verse 18 says, fair speeches that deceive the hearts of the simple. Folks, that's America today. And you don't have to go to the religious channel on TV. You don't have to go to YouTube. You don't have to go to Facebook or anywhere else on the internet to find this type of preaching. It's going on in this city today. Amen. And they're drawing the masses. Because what 2 Timothy 4 says, the masses would rather hear soft words. They would rather hear good phrases. They'd rather go to church and get a warm fuzzy on Sunday 
So they can go away saying, my, what a wonderful child of God I am. God's just so lucky to have me. And much of that type of preaching is taking place in three areas. And that's the ones I want to name in this message this morning. Three things that are not being preached the Bible way in churches today. And the very first one is sin. Sin. See, sin's not really being preached as sin today, is it? In fact, we have a generation today that does not like that word sin. Preacher don't use that word. I'd rather not hear that word. They want to claim their own goodness. Proverbs 20 verse 6 says, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. People want to claim their own goodness. They want to tell you how good they are. And of the word sin, they say, oh, that's, that's judgmental. Don't call anybody a sinner, preacher. Listen, from the day you were born, from the day you were conceived, because David said in Psalm 51, in sin did my mother conceive me, from the day you were conceived, you were a sinner. Amen. And that sin separated you from God. But people say, oh, that's so judgmental to call it sin and to say it separates you from God. It's so condemning, it's so offensive. That word, preacher, is out of date. Here's a word you ought to use, preacher. It's a mistake. It's a misjudgment. It's a bad choice. It's an unfortunate choice. Use words like that. That's more appealing. Yes, it's appealing to the flesh, but it won't do anything for the spirit. In fact, about the only sin in the minds of the generation today is to call sin, sin. Just call it what it is. Now, sin is not an accident. Sin is not an accident. It is a deliberate choice. James 4, 17, James said, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it's what? It's sin, <laughs> okay? If you know what you ought to do and you don't do it, you're sinning. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 says that sin is a transgression of the law. That word transgression literally means lawlessness. The Greek word is anomia. The A negates the nomos part of that word to make it a lawlessness. So when one lives like God has no laws, when somebody lives like God's laws don't really matter, when somebody just does what they want to do in spite of what God's word says, you know what they're doing? They're walking across God's word. They're walking across God's law. They're transgressing God's law. And listen, Jesus did not go to the cross for errors. Jesus did not go to the cross for mistakes. Jesus did not go to the cross for misjudgments. He did not go to the cross for bad choices. Jesus died for sin. And our world does not want to acknowledge sin today. We're in a day of behavioralistic psychology, which says that we're just a sum total of our genes and our chromosomes and our DNA and our environment. And therefore, man is not wicked. He's just weak. Man is not sinful. He's sick. Man is not evil. He's just ill. And we have downplayed what the Word of God says is sin and the fact of sin. And because we never really deal with the problem, we don't get to the root of the problem, which is sin in the heart of mankind. Amen. You know why some of our members are not here today? Sin. Amen. 
Now some are here because are not here because they're ill. Some are not here because they're out of town maybe. Some are not here because they're in nursing homes and they can't come. I understand that. But the vast majority of our membership, you say the vast majority? Yes, because look around you. You know, we have about getting close to 200 members in this church. Where are they? Well, they're not here. They're sinning. They're staying away. They're avoiding assembling together with their brothers and sisters in Christ. The evolutionist says, we're on our way up. And ultimately, we will get so good that we'll just kill the beast within us. But I believe if you'll look honestly at society today, folks, you'll say, oh, we're on our way down. We're not on our way up. Amen. And listen, the Word of God says, 2 Timothy chapter 3.12, what does Paul tell Timothy? Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. And I'll believe God and His Word anytime over what the evolutionist says. God says you're on your way down. And one of these days, according to the book of Hebrews, one of these days, you know what God's going to do this, this world? Just like a vesture, he's going to fold it up and he's going to put it away. And this world is going to be met with fire. For just a few moments this morning, I want us to think about this thing in the Bible called sin. I said we all start out that way. Everyone's born a sinner. Everyone's born with a sin nature. Where did we get it? We got it all the way back from Adam. I believe men pass it along to their children. Amen. Jesus was born of a virgin. He didn't have a human father. And therefore, because he was God and is God, he had no sin. But it just seems like we men pass this sin nature along to our children. And from the moment of birth, that child is separated from God and demonstrates that they have a sin nature. You know, people don't sin because they lie. They lie because they're sinners. People don't Steal because they're thieves, they're thieves because of the sin nature that lies within them. And so they're just acting according to the nature. The only thing that can change that nature is the new birth that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. See, what we do with young people a lot of times, we don't want to confront them with the fact that they're sinners. That they're lost sinners. I try to tell young people, you have a sin nature. A child comes to me, a parent brings a child to me, a child wants to be saved. Here's what I'll tell them. You have a sin nature that separates you from God. Amen. You are a sinner. And the only way to take care of that sin nature is to turn to God and accept Jesus Christ as Savior. Amen. That's the only answer. But so oftentimes we tell, oh, little Johnny, you don't want to go to hell, do you? That's a bad place, Right? And so you need to believe in Jesus. Well, Johnny says, I believe in Jesus, and he'll walk the aisle say, I've been saved. And what do we do? We baptize, man, get him on the roll. You know, we've got an associational meeting coming up, and we need to boast of as many baptisms as we can. Well, we're doing Johnny a disservice, and we're doing God a disservice. And I would suggest that we're probably sinning against God when we do that. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word or words that's translated in sin are kata which means to miss, hence to sin, and kata, spelled differently, same idea of the word, which refers to an offense which sometimes becomes habitual sinfulness. 
That's what sin is. In the New Testament, it is the word hamartia, which comes from hamartino, which means to miss the mark and so to miss out on the prize. The picture of the New Testament word is that of an archer shooting an arrow at a target and missing the bullseye. Sin is when we miss the bullseye. A lost person going about to establish his own righteousness like Israel tried to do, whether through religion or through his own goodness, misses the mark of God's bullseye of Jesus Christ. A child of God who is disobedient to his heavenly father and who does not live a Christ-like life misses the bullseye of God's desire for that child of God. God wants us to live for him and to live like the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's the problem that I mentioned just a moment ago. Our world does not see sin as God sees it. We need to see sin that way, folks. But our world doesn't see sin the way God sees it. Well, how does God see sin? Well, first of all, how does the world see sin? Again, it's a mistake. It's an oopsie, all right? Oops, you messed up. Uh, get it right. Don't worry about it, okay? Sees it as an oops. It's something to be laughed at. Have you noticed, if you watch any, I, I don't think there's a sitcom on TV I'd even bother to waste the electricity on today. But what is the subject of most sitcoms today? Sin, fornication, abortion, lasciviousness, all, you know, you just name them. And that's where so-called entertainment in America has gone today. Well, listen to what God's word says. The apostle Paul in Romans chapter seven, verse 13 says this, but sin that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become what? Exceeding sinful. What's the attitude you and I as God's people ought to have towards sin? Exceeding sinful. Look at the definition of that word exceeding. Preeminently sinful, okay? It's from a word which means to go beyond the usual mark. It's not just sin. You know, there's a thing I heard years ago says, came a knock at the door. I said, who's there? A voice from without said, just a little sin. And so I opened the door just a bit and all of hell rushed in. That's the way we ought to see sin. It's not funny. It's not something to, oh, it's an excuse me. No, it's not. It is sin against an almighty and perfect God. Amen. Exceeding sinful. Look at this illustration. Think of the most disgusting thing you can think of. Just give you a second to do that. The most disgusting thing you've ever seen, you've ever touched, you've ever been around. The most disgusting thing you can think of. Now multiply it infinitely and you'll begin to get an idea of how God views sin. Sin cannot enter into the presence of God. It will be destroyed. Isaiah 64, 6, but we are all as an unclean thing and all of our righteousness are as filthy rags and we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. The filthy rags there, all of our righteousness, what is all of our righteousness? That's the very best you can do. Outside of Christ, without Christ, the very best that you can do. We look at people today, lost people, and we say, well, he's a good man. She's a good woman. They're a good person. 
Well, by the world standards, maybe so. But you know what God sees? God sees all of their righteousnesses. And he said, that's like filthy rags. Filthy rags here refers to those rags that were used to wrap the oozing sores of leprosy. And what were those rags good for after they'd been removed from the person who had leprosy? You take them out and burn them. You get rid of the leprosy. So the very best a person can do, and I think whether he's saved or lost, you know, sometimes we try to do our good works by ourselves as God's children, don't we? I can handle this, Lord. I'll take care of it. We don't say that, but we think that. And so the very best that we can do in God's sight is fit for destruction. Listen, sin is costly. Somebody said this one time, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. Oh, if we could just get that into the minds of young people. So many young people get deluded today by things that are presented to them, whether television or in the music, so-called, that they, I had to throw that in, that they listen to, and they think this will be great, and then they find out it costs them more than they ever wanted to pay may cost them the rest of their lives. In fact, sin pays off in everlasting separation from God. For the wages of sin is death. That lost person who's never saved, they'll spend an eternity separated from God. Ezekiel 18, 20, the soul that sinneth it shall die. Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Listen to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. This is verses 7 through 9. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Listen to this. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who's that? That's lost folks. And obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And that idea of from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power literally has the idea of out and away from. Not coming into the presence of God. Not coming into the glory of his power but out, off, and away from the glory and the presence of the Lord. Sin is costly. And sin is horrible. Sin is so horrible that it cost God his only begotten son. For God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Talking about Jesus, Hebrews 10, 12 says, but this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down on the right hand of God. Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't die for errors, for mistakes, for oopsies. Jesus died for sin. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. One more, 1 John 2.2, 2, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And you know what that word propitiation means? It's a long, fancy word, which just means this, satisfactory payment. Jesus is the satisfactory payment for sin. All have sinned and Jesus paid the price. Sin cost God his only begotten son. And preachers need to preach and especially we as God people need to see that sin is exceedingly sinful. And that sin is costly and that sin is horrible. It's not to be laughed at, but it's to be avoided like leprosy. That's the first 
thing that I don't think is preached the way God's Word presents it in churches today. Sin is vile. Sin is disobedient. Sin is anti-God. Okay? Here's the second one. Salvation is not being preached the Bible way in churches today. You know, the modern approach to salvation produces false converts. We have a lot of terms today that really don't mean what they ought to mean. I remember years ago, and this is sort of dating myself, but there was a singer called Donna Summer, and she said being born again, what it meant to her was that she could be more sensual in her performances. That's not what born again means. Use the term saved and somebody doesn't know what you're talking about. The one that gets me is this term Christian. Folks, it has been so abused and misused by the world that most people don't even, if you know, America is a Christian nation, really? You look at the vile things that are going on in this country that are allowed in this country, that are encouraged in this country, and you still want to say we're a Christian nation? Well, I'm a Christian. Well, you, you're in church every Sunday, you're there Wednesday night, you read your Bible, you pray, you witness. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm just a Christian. How? If you don't follow Christ, again, why was the term Christian used? Because there was so much like Jesus. And I've told you, I don't call myself a Christian. Amen. The lost world will determine if I'm a Christian or not. If I live enough like Christ, act enough like Christ, talk enough like Christ, somebody will say, you must be a Christian. Well, if that's what you want to call me, amen, I'll take that. But you know what I am? I'm a child of God who's doing his best to live like Christ. And you know what? I don't always do it. But I can relax in the fact that I know that you don't always do it either. <laughs> you know? We shouldn't laugh about that. But none of us is perfect. None of us is without sin. We still live in this flesh which is infected by sin. But in salvation, some will say, well, just repeat after me. I could tell you the words to pray to be saved. But if you just repeated those words from here up, you'd be just as lost when we got to as you were when we started. Salvation is in the heart. It's of the heart. With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, the scripture says. Salvation is in and is of the heart. Others say, and this one gets me, and I may offend some folks with this, but others say, just invite Jesus into your heart. I have no idea what that means. You know, Jesus will not enter into a dirty heart. He won't. Just invite Jesus into your heart. And some will do that and say, well, I've been saved. Well, they may not have. And even the plea, accept Jesus, makes it sound like Jesus is standing over there in the corner hoping somebody will think enough of him to accept him. We've not listened to what the Word of God says in telling people how to be saved. Salvation is not turning over a new leaf. Salvation is not doing better. Salvation is not just a feeling. It's not something you do to make your life better, although if you're saved, it'll make your life better. Amen. I borrowed this illustration, but I like it. If you boarded a plane, and when you boarded a plane, you were given a parachute, and you were told throughout your flight, wear this parachute, it will make your flight so much better, so much more comfortable. Now, can you imagine sitting in one of those small seats with something about the size of a backpack on your back the whole way? Pretty soon, you'd say, this is enough. I'm taking this off. But if when you got on that plane, they handed you a parachute, 
or somewhere during the flight, they handed you a parachute and said, put this on, the plane's going down. You're going to have to jump out and you need this to live. I think you'd wear the parachute, wouldn't you? Salvation is not just to make life more comfortable. You need to be saved to be able to live. Salvation is God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. It is God paying the price for sin that you and I could not pay. That's what salvation is, whatever anybody else may say it is, that's what salvation is. And listen, here's what's being left out of the salvation message today. Repentance. Repentance. Is repentance necessary to salvation? Well, certainly it is. That's God's message throughout the Bible. Repentance and faith. John the Baptist preached repentance. Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. That illustrate, that show that you've repented toward God. Jesus preached repentance. He said in Luke chapter 5 verse 32, I came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Paul preached repentance, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter preached repentance. Acts 2.38, what did he say in Acts 2.38? He said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit what he was giving two commands right there, repent for salvation, and after you're saved, be baptized. Okay? It's not repentance and baptism together that save you. It's the repentance and faith in Christ that save you, and then you're baptized to illustrate that salvation. And here's what true repentance is. It's turning around. It's turning around. Isn't that simple? By the way, the scripture says the turning away of the simple shall slay them in the book of Proverbs. But here's somebody going away from God and when they repent, they just turn back toward God. Repentance is a change of mind, true repentance, a change of mind about God, about sin, about your standing before him that produces a change of heart and a change of life and a change of action. Somebody that tells me that they were saved last Sunday and all this week they lived for the devil, I don't believe they're saved. Amen. You know what Paul told some in Ephesus? Because apparently they had this reputation. He said, let them that stole steal no more. <laughs> okay. If you're saved, quit your stealing. If you're saved, quit your lying. If you're saved, quit your fornication. If you're saved, quit your adultery. If you're saved, quit whatever else you're doing that the Word of God says don't do. It's a change of mind that results in a change of our action. And it's repentance and faith. Repentance is the turning to God. Faith is trusting the price that Jesus paid on the cross. See, they're both necessary. It's a willingness to just put everything on Jesus. You know, just say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm depending totally upon you. It's not, well, Jesus paid some of the price, but I paid the balance. No. That would be like you saying to me, I want to buy you a brand new car. Here's a dollar. That's my part. No. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. It is not Jesus plus anything. It is Jesus and his sacrifice on Calvary alone. Amen. And I'll just be plain this morning. If you've trusted anything 
other than Jesus are in addition to Jesus to be saved, you need to be saved this morning. Amen. Okay? You say, that's blunt, preacher. Well, the Bible's blunt. I said the Bible is very clear. Too many believe that their goodness, their church membership, their baptism, their works, and any other thing they can think of will save them. They will not. Amen. Salvation is through Christ alone. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And here's the other thing that's not being preached the Bible way in churches today. And I don't have a lot of time for it because I just wanted to spend a lot of time Folks getting us to recognize sin for what it is and then seeing where many churches fail in preaching about salvation. But the other one is sanctification. We're studying it on Sunday nights. What is sanctification? Being set apart to God. See, once you're saved, <laughs> then you need to set apart your life apart to God. You need to live for God. You need to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know that churches once required faithfulness out of their members? They did. Regular faithful attendance. Do you know we have a set of bylaws? Had them for a long time. You know one of the things that's required in those bylaws for anyone who holds any office in this church? Faithful attendance to all the services. Amen. How about that? But nobody knew that, didn't they? The churches once required that. That was expected to all services. Unless you're providentially hindered. Unless you're sick. Unless you're out of town. Something like that. Regular, faithful, financial support. And churches required faithful, regular, prayerful support. I don't want a show of hands. But I just wonder how many people this past week have prayed for this church and for these services today. I'm not going to tell who because I, you know, I don't want to embarrass anybody and I don't want to set people in competition. But every so often on Sunday morning, and this person knows who they are, I get this, this text from somebody praying for you while you preach God's Word today. Now you may think, well, that's not much. Yes, it is to a preacher to know that people are praying for you when you're preaching the Word of God. And they did not tolerate Churches once did not tolerate the regular habitual practice of sin among their membership. Amen. You know, there's a doctrine we believe that we don't practice. So if you have a law that's not enforced, what is it? It's a suggestion. It's not a law, okay? Well, if you have a doctrine you don't practice, I guess it's a suggestion too. Churches today do not practice church discipline. But it's in the Bible. Jesus wants a pure church. We're familiar with Ephesians 5. We've read it several times in talking about this thing of sanctification, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with a washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself, a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Does that describe us as one of the Lord's churches? It ought to. But it can only do so when our lives individually and personally are like that also. Why? Because the church is made up of people. Amen. And unless the members of that church have those kinds of lives, the church is not going to be that in the community either. If we're not set apart to God individually, the church will not be set apart to God as an institution. Folks, sin is high treason against God. 
high treason against God. And yet today, lost and saved alike do not want to confess their condition. I've sinned against my father for a child of God. I'm a lost sinner going to hell for the person who's never trusted Christ and repented and put their faith in him. But one day, every one of us is going to bow before the Lord, the lost before the great white throne judgment of God, and those of us who are saved before the judgment seat of Christ, because nothing is hidden from God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Not just our actions, but our thoughts our motives, our intents, all of them are open and known to God. God has, and by the way, when they're not according to the word and will of God, they're sin. God has provided for salvation for all men in and through Jesus by repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And for the child of God, the saved person who's out of fellowship with his heavenly Father, what has God provided? 1 John 1, 9. If we'll confess our sins, he's faithful and just forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And once we're saved and especially become members of one of the Lord's churches where to serve him who loved us enough to give himself for us by faithfully living for him. Amen. God wants us to be conformed to the image of his dear son, folks. If you're saved, God wants you to be conformed to the image of Jesus. I'm going to tell you a little secret about myself. I hate to confess this, I hope nobody will abuse this. But you do something nice for me. I just feel so obligated to you. Right? Are you ever that way? Somebody gives you something, helps you with something, does something for you, and you just feel like you owe them something? Well, maybe nobody else is that way. Maybe I'm the only one that way. But folks, I think about what God has done for me. I can never repay. Years ago, there was a song that said something to the effect that I could never do enough good works to buy one splinter of the cross that Jesus died on. But if I'm appreciative of what God has done for me, I'll be obedient to him. I'll follow him. I'll live for him. Sin is exceedingly sinful. Sin sends men to hell because they don't recognize that they're born sinners and they have a sin nature that separates them from God. Salvation is so easy. Turn to God and by faith apply the shed blood of Jesus. And then sanctification, a set apart life, a living for Christ is so absolutely necessary for children of God, especially in this day. And that's what we ought to be doing. Living for him and telling others about him. One man said it this way, and I'll close with this. One man said it this way, keep your eyes on Jesus and tell people what you see.